When your competitors promise the same features and functionalities as you, it's tough for your buyers to understand what makes one solution better than the other. And the companies that stand out and win tell a powerful, consistent story across their entire company. But that's way easier said than done. Today, we're going to talk about storytelling and building a strategic narrative. We've been working through this ourselves for several months now and have a lot of lessons to share. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, Mark. So this is something that we are literally right in the middle of right now. So what a great time to talk about it. So our strategic narrative. Um, we've been working for months now on this thing, uh, going through different iterations, like just going through all the motions. And it's been a learning experience for me. Um, and I think it's going to be really, well, I don't think, I know it's going to be a really kind of big point uh, in our company journey, honestly. So, uh, and so, yeah. one thing to add, everyone involved with the exception of one of our little elves who's helping us uh, is going through this for the first time. So it's not like we've done this before. So I think that's uh, like many things we do at Metadata. It's an important reminder to set that anybody can really do this. Yeah. And I, you know, I always say this, but I've been around the block a while and I've been in a lot of companies and I don't think, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what this was. So I don't know if big company, I mean, I'm sure big companies do it. I wonder if they call it something different or if they did it a long time ago and they just held on to it and that they had that when I got there. But I don't, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't remember a place that I worked that had like a really solid story that like everybody knew. And so I was pretty blind to it and we were just talking about this, but the first time I ever even really heard about it was from you. And it was, what did we say, October of 2020? Yeah. Jason kind of realizes now that many of the things that make me sound intelligent are just things that I steal from other podcasts. So it was me, I think, sending you a podcast link or something else. <laughs> no, the reality is, though, like a lot of the a lot of the big things that we've done here, like big changes, big, important things you've actually brought to me. And I was hesitant at first, usually. And it's the hesitation usually comes from just not knowing or not having experience in it. And then it turns out to be like a super important, important thing. Um, the first one being the website redesign a couple of years ago and then, you know, <laughs> others. But uh, this is a, a huge one because I was like, you know, I'm the again, I'm like, the, I'm coming with the ops angle and I'm like, well, why do you know you need a story? But this one was a little bit easier for me to get on board with because um, you can get me with story. You know what I mean? And I, I really like the psychology psychological parts of marketing um, and just like how certain things resonate and change your thinking and that kind of thing. And so this, um, I, I don't think it, I don't think it was a huge, like, Oh, Jason doesn't want to do it. I was just learning. And the more I kind of learned about it, I was like, Oh, this seems really cool and good, but I had no idea how to start. I also think though, when I mentioned it, because I, I mentioned it, in, I think we said October, 2020. And then I started to annoy you about it. I think right around this time last year, if we would have started in October, 2020 on this, or if we would have started on this, this time last year, I don't think we would have known like what the story was. So I think it, it happened yeah. organically and it happened as our company grew, especially with the, the number of new sales hires that we have and everything kind of came together at the right moment. So I think uh, we're right where we need to be. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really had us do a lot of thinking and a lot of, you know, like really, you know, 
what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing for our customers? And um, it actually gets me really excited because it gives us some things to like look forward to, but then also grounds us today in like how to tell that story with what we have today, but then kind of gives a little nod to the future. So cool. All right, before we get too deep in that, let's do our normal thing. Let's talk about what is this thing? So uh, what, let's define it. What's a strategic narrative? So I don't know if, I like to think that Andy Raskin coined this term himself. I'm pretty sure that he did, but even if he didn't, like he's the, the godfather of strategic narratives, if you will. So there's a couple different ways that you can describe it, but I think one is a quote that I pulled from some podcast that he did. And he said, it's a story that the buyer can have in their head that's valid and is not dependent on the company itself. So I think oftentimes, whether you're trying to compete on features and functionality or you're trying to just stand out, companies just talk about themselves. And a strategic narrative is the complete opposite of that. It is showing the buyer that they are the focus of the story. There is a movement that is happening. And if they don't move along with the movement, not only will they lose, but they're going to get left behind. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a really important thing. It's that features and functionality bit. Um, and I think that was, you know, that's, that's what a lot of us know. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is, well, but wait, we, this feature is so much better than our competitor. Well, yeah, it probably is. But like the specific words or the ways you can show that are so limited and your buyers have such limited time. And so like, if you're just left competing on those features and functionality, you might have the best product out there and still not be a leader. Um, and so that's where this really starts to sink in is like, okay, this helps you start to stand out. And I think from my perspective, when I first kind of started to see it, it was like, I, I think I, um, I kind of intermixed maybe like a founder story with like a, I'm just like, well, what's a, you know, what's a story? I'm not like a, you know, I'm like a, I understand story and the effect of it. You know, I read, a, you know, I've read some about this, you know, but I didn't really, you know, how do you make, you know, it's like, how do you make that connection and how do you get away from the features and functionality stuff? And so I remember when I first saw that, the Zor, Zor, I can't say that, Zora, Zora, God, Zora deck. I, I actually uh, don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's Zora, uh, yeah. but uh, it shows you how intelligent we are. But yeah, I think the, the, the two uh, blogs that I think everyone has seen in B2B tech, or at least many people have seen, are what Andy had published uh, the first time, which was the greatest sales deck that he had ever seen. And then the second one was the greatest sales pitch he's seen this year. <laughs> and the first one was with Zora and the second one was with Drift uh, back when they were really just changing the game on, I would say B2B marketing and then coming up with the conversational marketing category. Cool, so at the end of the day, it's a, I'm trying to like, how, could you define it? Like what would they be the dictionary <laughs> definition? So like at the end of the day, it's like, uh, I guess I'll try and then You'll have I'll grade you. One, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, it's it's a story that can be consistently told. And here I go. I'm gonna word vomit this shit. Of course. Um, oh, sorry, people with children listening. <laughs> um, it's a Actually, story... hold on. Can I can I interrupt for a second? Because yeah. not everyone knows what you just said. Uh, we got a LinkedIn message. I don't know within the last couple of weeks. 
and someone had asked if there was any like clean versions and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I know we kind of swear a little bit here and there, but that's who we are. And I said, what happened? And apparently Jason let an F-bomb or two slip while she had the podcast uh, on whatever she was listening to in her kitchen when her little kids were walking around. So we'll try and clean it up this time, but no promises. All right, Jason, yeah. keep going. Uncle Jason doesn't mean to swear. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I'll try and define this. I, I'm not going to be good, so I'm just going to try and do this quickly. But it's a story that helps potential buyers and just the world at large understand your company's like reason for being and the problems that they solve in the world. And that is a horrible definition. So like, I'm just gonna skip right by that and like, how about you try? Yeah, why don't I, uh, I kind of summarized Andy's framework for a virtual event talk that I have to do. And there's basically five ingredients in the strategic narrative. And the first one is you name a big relevant change that's happening in the outside world that is not really related to you, your company, uh, even kind of what you sell, like any of that. It's just an undeniable change in the outside world. Then you've got to show that there are going to be winners and losers who accept this big relevant change. You have to show them what the promised land is going to look like. You've got to also tease out what some of the obstacles are and how you and your company are best suited to help them overcome the obstacles. And then you just have to reinforce it all with evidence and social proof. So it's like a fairly simple five-step framework, which we'll get into how that involved for us in a little bit. And I think the other thing that I would add is it's not just a story, but when done well, it's your strategy because the company story becomes the company strategy. And it's this big rallying cry to get everyone on the same page and work towards the same, you know, North star, if you will. Nice. And this is where like, and I don't know if we have a good or clean answer for this. Maybe you do. I kind of got, I would get mixed up on this, like between this and like a mission and vision, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, and I know there's obvious differences. There's probably some connections too, but, uh, do you know, I mean, I, this is a little bit of a curveball, but do you have a, do you have a sense of like, or a, you know, perspective on that? Yeah, I think the vision is included in this narrative because it's showing what you don't have today, or at least you may not have all of it, but it's what you're working towards. And then your mission is a little more present day of what you can help people with and what you're planning to continue helping them with over time. Yeah. So they're tied together, but definitely different. Usually yeah, mission I look and at it are pretty short and crisp. They're a little crisp. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, we have it in the messaging doc that we're rolling out at our kickoff next week and we have both of them in a single sentence and yeah. one is set to current state and one is set to the future state. Nice. Yep. Cool. All right, so that's what a strategic narrative is. Um, and we've talked a little bit about why they're important, but let's just make sure we've covered off on all of it. Um, so, you know, we talked about the feature functionality and how that really doesn't work and, you know, you need something else. And you talk about story as your strategy. Maybe dig in on that a little bit more. So, because um, it sounds good with alliteration, your story is your strategy. But, like, yep. how does that, how do we connect that? Yeah, so. And I'm probably going to cheat a little bit or at least steal some of Jason's five minutes from now, future thunder. But one of the most important reasons why this needs to be led by your CEO is because if it's a story that marketing comes up with, sure, it's going to you know, maybe sound great, but are people going to listen to it? Most likely not. But if your CEO is listening to it, that story is then going to manifest itself in every single function across the company. 
And like some of what we did recently around our press conference, we had to not just look at the story that we were coming up with, but then how does our product and our roadmap need to evolve to really start to chip away at that story? So it's not just a marketing thing. It's not just a sales thing. Product needs to be aware of what it is and you know how to kind of work towards that North Star. Uh, but it's something that every single department has a hand in executing. So that's why I say it's a strategy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, you mentioned something like the importance of it coming from the CEO. Um, this is a company initiative. This is a company that de- you're, you're defining the company for the outside world, really. And so, yeah, um, and you want everybody singing that same tune. Uh, and well, I know we'll probably get into like the importance of the consistency later, but really with any big endeavor at a company like, you know, like, like a big endeavor like this, you have to have your CEO as a champion, you know what I mean? Or else like, if they're not a champion or if they are even, if they don't know it really well, or if they're, if they, if there's any doubt that somebody can tell in the CEO about it, then every, you know, it just throws everything off. So if, even for example, like for us, let's say Gil was in a room presenting this to leadership and he faltered a little bit on, so he's like, oh, I don't really like that. Everybody hates it. You know what I mean? And so like, it's so important for the CEO to like really be behind it. It has to feel natural and good for the CEO. Um, and then that cascades down. And so, um, yeah. It, it can't just be something that you and I came up with and we have Gil then share kind of as a, a little puppet for us. Like he has to be excited about it. He has to be 100% all in. And like you mentioned, if he's not, you can really sense that in the delivery. So we've had him super involved throughout and he's going to be delivering that narrative with you at our kickoff next week. Yeah. And that's part of what makes this hard to do too, is that a lot of other things you're doing in marketing, it's like your CEO sometimes want to wait, wants to weigh in, but they can they can disagree with it, and then like you can still do it usually. But this is one where you have to be like in lockstep, and it it was it was tough to you know it's you it's kind of, you, you everybody has to compromise a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, and that was an interesting thing for me too. Uh, we'll get into that I think when we talk about our process that we follow. Yep. Um, you mentioned something to me that was interesting to me. You say they work because they use stakes, not problems. Yep. Yeah. So it is a, you know, not just talking about, uh, let's use metadata, for example. It's not just saying, hey, I need to scale my paid ad campaigns more effectively. Like that's a, that's a problem at the end of the day. The stake is there are way too many manual, repetitive, and technical tasks for me to keep up with, and I'm drowning in in them every single day. And if I don't find a solution for that, my work is going to get away from me, and I will never get out of that vicious cycle. So it's almost kind of painting what the stakes are instead of just saying the the literal problems that your products, you know, can solve for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, It makes a lot of sense because it's like, yeah, you might have a discrete problem here and it's a discrete problem here. You know what I mean? You've got like these little problems, but ultimately, like if you don't address those, what, you know, what does that mean for you as a business? And I think that's really where it starts to connect with it. Like if you see a problem like, oh, you know, that whatever, I don't even, I'm not going to make one up, but like, oh, that's a little problem. I might be able to solve that little thing or this little thing, but the totality of all that, you know it, what I mean? It and then, doesn't make it sound as serious as it is because yeah. when you see what the stakes are and, and uh, how big they are, you don't want to lose and you realize that, wow, this is something that I need to address. Not, Hey, uh, I've got to use three different tools to run my paid campaigns. Like, yeah, I could get by, but 
when you yeah. frame it at a much higher level, it becomes that much more serious and, and compels you to take action. Yeah, and then one more thing on this, and then we'll start talking about like how we jumped into it. Um, the the you versus us part. And this is this was a big learning for me too, and I think you see this in me still. When I write stuff for us, I focus on the us. You know what I mean? I tend to like I I tend to like, hey, we do this, we do this. Hey, look at us. You know, we we're doing all this stuff. Um, and it's been a it's been like a learning experience to like, oh wait. Um, what is the benefit to you? You know what I mean? Not just, hey, we have all this stuff. Come look at us. We're mm -hmm. shiny and we're the best. But like challenging yourself to like, how do you then frame that up in a different way that's more about the customer or the prospect? And that's been a, you know, uh, again, you know, learning experience for me too. Yeah, I think for me, and I'll quickly get on my soapbox and then quickly get off. I think for me, it's the realization that no one really cares about us at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as yep. a company, no one really cares about your company. All the, the reader or your audience cares about at the end of the day is how can my life be made easier? And can I imagine yep. myself in those particular shoes? So it's a very small nuance in copy, but if you just strike as many mentions of we and us and your company name and use you, your, your team, whatever it may be, then you're speaking to them in their own terms and, and putting them as the focus of whatever you're trying to say and making it about them, not about you, because no one really cares about us at the end of the day. I know yeah. I don't when I look at, <laughs> at companies' websites and very quickly do I X out of whatever window it is if I can see that, oh, they're just talking about themselves. Like, I really don't care. Yeah, yeah and that... Uh... Yeah, that was an interesting one for me, and I, but I think it, it makes it makes a ton a ton of sense, and it's actually harder to write that way. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, so like, it's way harder. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, cool. Okay, so let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about you know our our process here. And so let's start with like why. So why did we why did we decide to focus on our strategic narrative and like um, really we really started to go pretty hot and heavy uh, last fall. Um, and so, yeah, but what was a precipitating event? So this will be funny to see how on the same page we are. I have an <laughs> idea. You tell me if this is what happened. I think Gil is, um, fascinated with creating a category and he's been hosting category creators for, I forget how many episodes we're at. We're in the thirties at this point. Yep. Yep. And I think one of the things that he picked up, uh, over time from the CEOs and other executives that he had on category creators was how important the narrative was to truly building a category. And I know he had Andy Raskin on at one point, and I know we kind of mentioned it to him, you know, over the past year. Uh, I don't, I can't confidently say that it wasn't until it started to come up repeatedly on category creators that he realized how important it was. And I think because he was already working with Dave Gerhardt uh, <clears throat> on the side, uh, we then had kind of, uh, a slam dunk of an option of somebody who was working with Gil already got him. They worked well and had done this before. And it was like, why wouldn't we do this? So I don't know. Yep. How does that mesh with what you were thinking? That sounds actually, yeah, pretty, pretty accurate. I think from my perspective, I was sitting in the middle. And so on one side I had Mark, you know, and we were talking about it and you were, you know, like, Hey, you know, we need this. And I remember we were even making our plan and it was in the plan. You know what I mean? It was like, it's in the plan. And then on the other side I had Gil and we, you're right. We didn't really mention it much because, you know, it's a, it's a long, big, you know, 
brandy, you know, kind of feeling thing. Not that mm-hmm. Gil doesn't like those things, but, um, you know, I think we were just trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to, you know, approach this. But then all of a sudden, he starts talking about it on his own. You know what I mean? And, like, and then so... I was like, oh, shit, okay, cool. I've got, like, both sides of the thing. Now we're all talking about it, so there's some interest here. And then, yeah, what really brought it together, and then you started looking for somebody to help us. And that's where part of it was like, shit, these people are busy. Like, the good people are busy, you know, they, yeah. because this is important work. And I think most more, more importantly, this isn't just something like you can, like, get an EY consultant, you know what I mean, like, off the shelf and be like, hey, no. help us with a strategic narrative. This is something that, like, you need to have a senior person that's probably run a company almost or, you know, that's been through it several times. And, and then we were just, we were like, okay, we think we can start it, like, maybe Q1 or Q2 of next year is kind of what I remember, I think. And then we're like, okay, we just kind of like, okay, you know, we're, we're okay with that. And then the opportunity was, like you mentioned... Gil came to us and he was already working with DG on like his own personal branding stuff. And he just came and was like, hey, uh, would you guys be interested in maybe working with Dave in a little bit bigger capacity? I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> Tell me more. And so that's when it was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just thinking about making, making him an advisor for us, you know, for a year. I was like, yes, please. Um, and then just like almost by osmosis, I don't even know if we talked about like, hey, this is the first thing we're going to work on or if that was already set up. But we started meeting the four of us and we basically just started immediately working on the narrative. Yeah. I think the only other thing that I would add, and I'm going to kind of shit on myself here for a bit, but I'm self-deprecating and that's who I am. I was mentioning this to you. I was mentioning it to Gil. I had never done this before, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. have known how to do it. I'd go read and listen to as many podcasts as I could. But when Gil kept hearing this from people who had done it before being these CEOs and executives, I think that's maybe when it finally clicked for him. And like, if I were in his shoes, that's probably when it would have clicked for me too. So uh, I think it happened at the right time. And then you see like, the other thing is you start to see these companies around you and you're like, oh, this company, I'm I'm watching their rise. I'm like, oh, guess what? They got a narrative. Oh, this one, ah, guess what? Look at their narrative. And you start to see, then you start to get these proof points. You're like, oh, these companies that are making like breakout performance, probably way more often than not, have a strategic narrative and they're working off of that. That's their strategy. Um, so yeah, so like it was, and I, that's, what, that's where I started seeing it too. So I was hearing it from you, started to hear it from Gil, then seeing it again, like, you know, I'm connected with Andy. He posts about it a lot. Um, and like some of his posts were actually intriguing to me too. Cause it's like, oh, it, it makes it feel like it's a pull struggle. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we got this first version. The whole company didn't like it. You know what I mean? But then the CEO got behind it and like, and so you can tell like there's some big meaty things going on and it really is, I mean, it really is your strategy. It really is, that, that does make it connect. And so, um, and I know like from my standpoint on the feature functionality side, I'm like, damn it, I can't, we can't compete like this because like we're competing with, here's the funny thing. I think it's funny anyway. We're not even really in a category, but let's, if categories aside, ABM category sounds the same. Like there's even, there's categories that we're not even close to. That if you go to their website, like it sounds, it sounds the same. It's like everyone says revenue this, revenue that. You can even be like so far away from revenue and they're still like putting revenue in the features and functionality. So it's like as a buyer, you're like, I don't. I don't know. And then it's a challenge of like, okay, just I got to get somebody to do a demo meeting because that's where we can really show the differences. And that is not, that's not a hamster wheel you want to be on. And so I, that was the other side that I started to see. It was like even a CDP, like a CDP, a customer data platform, not even in a close category. I go to their website. And I was like, it, 
a buyer would literally think they're buying the same exact thing and it's totally different. And so that's where, that was started to make it clear to me like, oh, we're never, we might win on this, might, but like the chances are really small and really like getting through to the buyers on like what they really want to hear and what they really want to know and how it's different. I just, I just was like, I don't, I don't see how we can do that without something different. So that was my, one of my precipitating events, I think. Yeah. And I think before we get into kind of how we really started to work on this, the last thing that I would add is we're now getting to a point and hopefully very soon here when we really shout this from the rooftops that our audience knows where we sit relative to like our perceived competitors. But up until now, many people think they know what metadata does uh, or did uh, because we are <laughs> positioned uh, by G2 and other you know analyst firms as an ABM platform. Yep. And they think they know what we do until they get on a call and it's like, oh wait, this isn't anything like I thought you were going to do. So like when we kept hearing that uh, light bulb moment <laughs> multiple times, we realized that, hey, we got to do something because we're not making it any easier on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, doing it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, I, so I don't, actually, why don't you start? Because like, I, mm -hmm. I remember bits and pieces of it. But so we started working with a Dave Gerhardt, me, yep. you, Gil, Dave. So yeah, yep. why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so I don't know how Dave does this with all the things that he's got going on. But one thing he is good at is saying no to meetings. So we did not have endless meetings when we were doing this. We had one 30 minute meeting every week and we still do uh, with us and DG and, and Gil. And I think at first Dave came to us with kind of a rough outline of, you know, hey, this is how the slides uh, should look. And when I say should look, it was here are the ingredients for this. Now, a lot of that was based off of Andy's framework, and we'll get into that a little bit more here in a second. Uh, but what we did was we tried to get Gil's initial, I say word vomiting, uh, not just because it's Gil, I, I say Jason word vomits too and I word vomit, but just like a, a big brain dump of all of these initial ideas at first. And then what we right. would do is we try to take these ideas and fit them into uh, the... Uh, kind of framework that, that DG had suggested, you know, to us. Now you and I would riff on it outside of that 30 minute meeting. I think there were a couple times where, uh, once we felt like it was at a point where, Hey, we're ready to review it with Dave, then we'd review it with him. Um, and then once we incorporated his feedback, we'd go to the next 30 minute meeting with Gil and kind of present what we were doing and get <coughs> Gil's take on what's landing, what's not landing. And it was a very iterative, process and lots of edits, uh, <laughs> lots of frustration, lots of, uh, you know, should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? And it was confusing just because we, we hadn't done this before. I know that Dave had, uh, we're creating something that doesn't exist yet. And how do you get feedback on that when it's new to everyone involved? Yeah. And I, part of what I remember too, is like, um, well, not like it was forever ago, but you know, there's this notion <clears throat> as you're coming up with it. Sorry, I've got something in my throat, but <clears> throat> um, it doesn't work well for a podcast. Um, there's this notion of like your villain. You know what I mean? Like, who's the who? You know, who are you really? Who's the villain in your story? I guess is kind of what it is. And I think most companies that's clear already a lot of times. And for us, it like that wasn't even clear for us. You know, we're like, 
do we <clears throat> do we compete with technology? Do we compete with people? You know, because this is actually different. It's not an ABM platform, et cetera. And so um, even that, you know what I mean? We had to figure that out. And that's a huge, important part because like, especially for ours, like technology or people, like which one are we, you know, what's the, and it's not people, but like wasted time, I guess, you know. Um, and so I remember that kind of sticking out to me. And then the other thing I think was, you know, you and I, we have a, we're pretty close on <clears throat> like what we want the brand to feel like, you know, how we want to talk about it, uh, how we think about it. You know what I mean? That then leads to words of how to describe it, et cetera. But Gil has a different, a little bit of a different view. Um, and his view is more like from an investor's perspective. And ours is like more grounded in what people want to buy today. And I think that was one of the interesting things that, I mean, luckily for us, Gil was very open to like not, you know what I mean? Like, okay, and understanding like the difference between future selling versus like selling now. Um, but that was one of the things that interested me too, is like, and that was part of, I think, the challenge of getting through some of this is like, okay, is that future state? Is that too far? Are we planning for like a billion dollar time or like the, you know? Um, and so that was part of, that was interesting to me too. So a hundred percent agree. I think one thing to clarify for anybody who's listening. So there are a couple different things that we're working on right now. And it all starts from this narrative deck. The narrative deck really is this internal deck. That's a rallying cry. It has the story. It has all of these different ingredients. Now, what we learned along the way was there's never going to be a single end all be all deck for marketing, for sales, for Gil. Like the audiences are different at the end of the day. Gil, and rightfully so, wants to talk about the future and where we're going and what uh, investors will get excited about. Will marketers find that interesting? Probably, but if it's a couple years away and doesn't make their lives any easier right now, then why would they care? So what we're doing then is we're taking this narrative deck and with all these ingredients, then turning it into a, a sales deck that can be used externally and then an investor deck. And I think it was a struggle at first of how much should we be talking about the future? When should we be talking about the future? And when should we be talking about the present? And it was bumpy, admittedly. And I think having DG there helped us uh, just as like an outside opinion because we oh, can't sure. over-index too far on the future, uh, knowing what we can and cannot do today. Yeah, and that was, <clears throat> that I think was one of DG's biggest helps was like being that third party and just like, make it simplifying it, you know, like I remember several times it's like, just don't, you know, just pick it and, you know, this is good enough, you know, go and, you know, you and I are, you know, we like to like really, you know, get things down and like really make them really, really good and perfect. But that was, I think, helpful for us. I, I see so many areas where if we just tried to do this ourselves, we would have just been like logger heads or whatever that term is we were just yeah i have no that. idea yeah. what you were talking about but i got you people on the podcast people listening didn't see my fists come yeah. together like yeah so we were uh, we would have gotten stuck you know we would have definitely gotten stuck um and it would have taken longer and probably wouldn't have come out as well as i think it is coming out now um and the other part was like we started to review with trusted advisors and people that we like really trust that really know metadata well and we got just so differing opinions you know like some people loved it some people like liked it and then they're like but this threw me off some people hated it and that was really hard for me you get into this like 
almost you got to stay out of the design by committee thing on this thing. But even with a couple, just a couple people, you can get into that trap. Um, and so that was the other thing that was a little bit tough is all this feedback. What do I, we've never done it before. So is it valid? Fee you know what I mean? And these are outside people. Like, should, do we trust them or do we like, sometimes you have to literally hear negative things from several people you trust and then literally still go the direction that you, you know, you went and not make any change. And that's where you start to get like, okay, I have to know my product and our strategy better than anyone else so that you can like take that as input, make some decisions on it, but still kind of go in that, you know, in the direction you want to go. The two things that I noticed just as far as feedback goes were, what's the best way to put this? The first one was how you presented it. And I think as you presented it repeatedly, you got a sense of where there were parts that were not as smooth as we wanted them to be, or like you were kind of getting hung up and maybe you lost people or something. And that was the light bulb for us that, hey, we got to tighten up there. And that was without people saying anything. That was just us yeah. realizing that, hey, we need to tighten it up. Now, the second part was actually getting feedback from customers, advisors, investors, whoever it may be. And to your point, if you're just trying to make all of these edits after every single <clears> presentation, <throat> one, you're going to be making edits for a long time. It's probably going to water it down. And yeah. <laughs> two, I would say it's going to be frustrating as hell. So the approach that we took was, yes, we're going to review it with people whose input that we value. We may not listen to everything, but if we were hearing the same thing from multiple people, then that was another light bulb moment that, hey, others are seeing this and it's consistent and we should probably do something about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you're right, actually. That's a good point, you know, with me presenting it repeat, and I would really try and get into it, you know what I mean, too, and like present it as if I were in front of a bunch of people. And you're right, that's you're absolutely right. Because even so, and you're reading it through when you're working on it, and you're like kind of doing it in your head, but it just does, it's just not even the same until you actually present it. And we really actually did, yeah. I think we got rid of several slides, we combined oh, yeah. a couple, we just through reading it, yeah, like actually trying to present it. So no, that, that was a good point. Um, that's critical. Like, and I'm not a big fan of practicing things because um, I feel awkward and weird, but that was so important and I'm so glad that we did. And now actually I, I do more of that kind of stuff. I practice things more now um, after I, that. I think so. one thing to add that we kind of skipped from the outline and it backs up what you just mentioned. We started with Andy's framework and it's a great framework. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of frameworks, but you don't always have to follow them to a T. And I think one of the things that we quickly realized was as we delivered it and tested it and refined it, we kind of customized what we were going to be including in this narrative so it fit us. So frameworks yeah. are great as a starting point, but you don't have to follow them to a T every single time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's parts of the framework that are like, yeah, you got to nail that. And then there's others that are like, okay, yeah, you can kind of flex that. And yeah, that's important. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, cool. So let's see. That's how we, that's what we did. We're still in the middle of it. You know what I mean right now? So uh, and Mark was talking a little bit about the different ways that it, basically kind of comes out and it's like the not best way to say it, but you know, you've got, so for us right now, we've got things like an internal FAQ document or messaging document, you know what I mean? For, for people, we have a narrative deck that's literally just for internal people and maybe like close advisors or something that kind of walks through the story. And then later we'll have a sales deck that uses parts of that narrative and then, and then basically rolls into a more of a sales conversation. Um, and then we'll make updates to the website and we'll, you know what I mean? And, and, and so, um, and I think, I think for most, and this is again, where you have to be very 
unique to yourself, but like, I think most companies make a pretty hard shift on this because I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on this. Um, but I think most companies are like, they're, they're really just trying to define themselves in a better way than they've been doing and kind of hearkening to the future. We were kind of at the same time defining our future product and trying to and trying to figure out the category thing at the same time as doing the narrative. And so I don't know what I'm saying, but it just, it feels like it's a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So let me, I'm, I'm, usually, I'm usually, not going to forget my train of thought this time. I'm and there it goes. usually good at deciphering this. So I think what Jason was trying to say, and I agree is that for us, and I think it's, it's probably a smarter, I think it's a smarter way of going about it, which is we've got this narrative. We had the press conference. We're starting to gradually roll it out. We've included our sales team in, in vetting this and getting their input. And it's something that they can stand behind and use too, but it's going to adjust over time. So rather than spin ourselves up and do all of the updates, if you will, to the site and everything else that Jason mentioned, we're trying to, to test this out even further, refine it and gradually update everything so that we're not doing, you know, wasted work. And it's, it's something that we know our audience is responding well to. Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. Let's, um, we've talked about some learnings kind of throughout, uh, in each kind of these sections, but are there some bigger, like, are there some broader learnings, um, that we can kind of talk through it all? Yep. So I would say, what would be the best starting point? I would say one, this should not live in a, a Google doc, uh, as much as we love and hate Google docs, it's very hard to get a company excited by sending a Google doc their way and, and having them read it. It's gotta be in a deck. And I think the, uh, the, biggest learning for us, like most things that we do, <clears throat> the copy informs the design, not the other way around. So we've been working from a, which is called a pretty hideous deck that we've defined <laughs> ourselves because we've been laser focused on the copy. And then once we got really tight on the copy, that's when we kicked off design. So I'd say that would be a big learning for me. And then I think the, uh, this was a something, I mean, it really came up within the last, let's say, three days, two, three days, but we use the press conference as um, what DG said is like a marketable moment. So we had the, the, the B round announcement, which is great and we're excited about and you know thankful for, but no one really cares about fundraising at the end of the day. So rather than pump our chest for raising a $40 million B round, it was kind of an afterthought in our announcement. And we used the narrative as really this marketable moment and trying to just build momentum on that. It's, hey, this is not the first time or last time that you're gonna hear about this. This is the first of, of many times that you're gonna hear about it. Uh, but you will start to see this each month come up in a slightly different fashion so that we can continue to reinforce it. And that was new to me because I had never really experienced this before. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the lessons for me too, or you know, it was really around this consistency of messaging and, um, and why, you know, that's important for a growing company or really any company, um, and how this work will really help us, you know, as we started to grow really fast and we've seen this, you know, listening to gong calls and stuff, uh, you know, 
the sales reps are, are pretty much on message, but it's starting to like, you know, like fan out a little bit, you know, it's like, it's fanning out and, you know, every rep is different, right? And they, and we're, we have a fairly complicated product, you know, it does a lot of complicated things. And so every sales rep comes with different experiences, different backgrounds, and they probably talk about it in a way that makes sense to them. You know what I mean? And so, and if that's happening, then <clears throat> prospect A will think of your tool or your platform different than prospect B, you know, and, uh, and when you don't have that consistent message, <clears throat> the consistent messages should be ones that we have tested, that we know work with a majority of people. And so there's a reason why we use these. And when you go off that message, you know, like, okay, these aren't really, it's going to cause confusion potentially, but also we know these don't work as well. You know, they don't resonate as well with people because we've already tested it. Um, so that was one of the things that I think, uh, it's a learning, but also just like, I guess, a, uh, make sure you understand the importance of consistency and message and how this can help drive that. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, I, I think it's part of our hesitation around, not hesitation, but why it's made us uncomfortable is it can come across, or I think it can come across as annoying when you're like hammering people over the head with the <laughs> same message every single time but you kind of need to do that so that people yeah. like you're reinforcing it to that audience at the end of the day. And without that, it's, it's, I'm hearing this over here and that over here. Well, what, what does metadata do? I can't really tell. And it's just reinforcing what we do. We can say it differently, but it's gotta be the same exact story about metadata so that people pick up on it. Yeah. 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 And we're starting to get some of that, you know, like, um, technical, repetitive, and mundane tasks. You know what I mean? Like you'll hear that from us over and over and over. Um, and there's, you know, there's reasons behind that. And so, uh, <clears throat> uh, my throat. So one day I can't remember what I'm saying. The next day I'm coughing up a lung. I don't know what's going on. Um, so a couple of ways that we're kind of what we're doing with this now. Um, so we actually have, we have an offsite coming up, company offsite coming up next week. Um, and we're using that <clears throat> as, a time to really start to get people rallied around this and really deliver that message to everybody. And so I know in our offsite, it's a two day, we've got two hours um, and they're gonna be pretty hard hitting sessions, you know, like Dave Gearhart and I talking about the importance of storytelling, like really to kick off our whole, <clears throat> damn it, to kick off our whole week or, you know, the whole, the whole offsite. And then the second day, really getting into the narrative and having Gil, you know, deliver a big part of his story as well to the staff, you know, in his own words. And so, um, yeah, so that's some of the next things. And then I know, you know, getting pe customer facing people certified on this, you know, and so like, we'll give them some materials, we'll give them a lot of supporting things, practice, and then I think we're going to have people record themselves pitching it. And we're gonna, you know, basically, I think that's how we're doing it or some kind of a test. Yep. Uh, so that's kind of what we're doing. Some of the things we're doing next. Yeah, I think there's the sales <clears throat> side, which is the, the training and the certification of everyone. And then there's what you're going to see from a marketing side. So you're going to see new pages on the site that reinforce this. You're going to see existing pages be updated so that it's consistent. You're going to see more product awareness campaigns around this. Like you will start to see this message more in market because people are aware that they're struggling and drowning in technical mundane and repetitive tasks, but they don't know that this is something that you can fix. Like there isn't a tool yeah. like this. So the education process takes a little bit longer and we know we have to get in front of that. Yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a little bit of a 
I mean, it's not a long game. Like you, you know, it's it's really getting people really understanding the whole story <clears throat> and having that build that connection and help build that relationship with prospects. All right, I'm gonna wrap this up before I can't talk anymore. And also I know we're running out of time. Um, not a lot of time for Q&A, but listen, if you have any questions about this episode, just uh, hit Mark and I up on LinkedIn. Um, even just like call us out in a public post and we'll answer it because I'm sure uh, if you have the question, uh, other people do as well. Uh, cool, <laughs> everybody. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Demand Gen U. Uh, do us a favor, like it, give us a good rating, uh, subscribe, tell your buddies about it. Till next time, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.